You can open your Bibles to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. And before we get into our text, let me ask you a question. In those times of your life when you find difficulty, when things seem to be going wrong, trials present themselves, grief settles in, how do you cope? How do you cope with those things? When the job isn't going right, when relationships have gone sour, when your health is in question, when you're stressed, when you're anxious, when you're depressed, when you're fearful, to what or to whom do you run for solace? As we consider the collective character of mankind, we see two things. We see first and foremost that uh, we need ways to cope when turmoil arises, when life becomes difficult. Next, we see that we have become experts at inventing unhelpful ways to cope. Most of what we run to, I think it's safe to say, in times of trouble, do little more than distract our minds and numb our feelings in order to uh, shield us from the hurts of difficult times. So the question again is this, what is it that you run to in times of trouble? What do you find refuge in during the storms of life? Or with whom do you find refuge during the storms of life? Let's be honest, some run to a bottle, some smoke a joint, some run to pornography, some overindulgent food, some run to unhealthy relationships, some retreat into an online world of mind-numbing frivolity, some simply withdraw inwardly, some become angry and turn their aggression towards others. But how about you, when you're stressed, when you're unhappy? when you're disappointed, when you're anxious, or even angry with your circumstances. What's your pattern of coping? And I use that word pattern uh, intentionally. There's some well-worn pathway in your life, in, in my life, that we trod whenever life gets difficult. What I'm going to suggest to you is that some of us have these well-worn pathways that are still in our lives from before we came to Christ. We're all wired in some way, or, and really wired as a consequence of our own actions. We're wired in some way to go to something or to someone or whatever it may be when life gets hard. And, and I said that's a well-worn pathway. And it's kind of like a rut. You've been riding a bike uh, maybe on a dirt road or a dirt pathway after a rain. And you see that there's ruts there. And as much as you try on that bike to stay out of that rut, the next thing it is really hard to uh, not uh, continually fall back into that same pathway that's been put there from uh, others or from you riding that pathway in the past. It's like that with us. We develop such patterns. In our passage this morning, the psalmist instructs us to whom we should turn in times of difficulty. And the fact that the psalmist writes a song tells us that his intention is that we could sing this and memorize this and keep it in our hearts and minds so that this can guide the new pathway, the new pattern. What the psalmist is going to show us is that God is our ever-present help. 
God is our ever-present help, and that in times of difficulty, we must develop that healthy pattern of running to him and trusting him in the midst of turmoil. He's going to tell us that God is our refuge. And so let's read it. Psalm 46, 1. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very, hesit- a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. So, uh, come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. As I said, this is given to us as a song for good reason, because we put truths in the song so that we can recall them easily. How many times is it in your life where something happens, uh, some events, and in, some song pops into your mind, and next thing you know, you start singing something. And, and uh, God gives us spiritual songs and hymns and so on for that very purpose, so we can fill the database of our minds so that when uh, circumstances arise that require us to re- be reminded of who God is and what He's done for us, those songs can come to mind. Well, this psalm is no different. The idea here is that this song could be our encouragement and direction in times of distress and turmoil. But it's also sort of like a collective confession. That confession is in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. That's great for a community of believers like this just to, to think on together and even confess together. This is our confession God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. This is the theme of this entire psalm. God's a refuge. That is, he provides protection, asylum, help. He's the one to whom we can run to find uh, when we find ourselves in trouble. And again, this is important. It's an important confession. As I said in the introduction, that we as fallen people often run to other things when life becomes difficult. We will be tempted to run to the same old patterns that we think got us through troubles in the past. Many of those patterns laid down prior to our salvation are unhealthy and unhelpful and perhaps downright sinful. And let's just be honest this morning, right? I mean, we're that kind of church, right? Like, let's just be honest here that even those of us who are believers at times fall back into sinful patterns. The moment you become a believer, it doesn't mean that all those sinful patterns are immediately eliminated. We understand that sanctification is a process that happens as you apply the means of grace. And so we can all be guilty at times to going back to our old ways of coping. We're going to learn from this psalm and from some New Testament passages is that God would have us as believers rewire, develop new patterns, Learn what it is to run to God in Christ when life becomes difficult and to wean ourselves off of any unhelpful patterns that still exist. So the psalmist would have us, again, make that confession. 
God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He's the one that we run to. The fact is, God is a refuge to those who fear him. Psalm 14, I'm sorry, Proverbs 14.26 says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord. Those who fear the Lord, not only will God be a refuge to them, but they, through their trust in the Lord in times of trouble, are going to provide even a refuge for their children. He says, a fear of the Lord brings confidence. How so? Because a fear of of God is a confession that God is sovereign. It's a confession that God in His providence actually works our difficult situations for His glory. It's a confession that when all things seem to be out of control, they are not out of His control. Although life becomes difficult and circumstances become unpredictable or unstable, we can have a strong confidence because we know who God is. Trust that He loves us as a Father and even uses difficulty for our good. Notice something in verse 1. It says, God is our refuge and strength. And a refuge is, is like a fortress. A mighty fortress is our God. It's based upon this psalm. He's, he's a fortress. He provides protection and asylum. And you say, okay, well, God's our refuge. Life becomes difficult. We run to him, and he just hides us, and he protects us. But then it says he's our refuge and our strength. Well, here's the question. If God's our refuge, then why do we need strength? If God is our refuge and he hides us from trouble and kind of sequesters us away and protects us, then why do we need strength? He's our refuge and our strength. We need strength because the way that God operates, and you know this as a believer, is that he does not spare us from the experience of trouble, but he gives us strength to endure trouble. And so the fact that he's our refuge means that in times of turmoil and distress, he carries us through, not sparing us the experience. But he takes us through the other side so that what? We are emotionally and spiritually, psychologically healthy and better and stronger than we were going into it. The fact is, God's people, and you know this, still experience afflictions. We still experience afflictions. But he delivers us by enabling us to endure trouble. He gives us a peace and a confidence. He enables us to not buckle emotionally or spiritually under difficulties. Remember the account of Jesus and his disciples when they were on the boat during the storm? And there they are in in the boat and the waves, the winds come up and the waves come up. And the disciples, who were trained fishermen, by the way, were fearing for their lives. And you could ask in, at that time, as these fish, did we make a mistake? I mean, they should have been able to look and to gauge the weather, right? I mean, that's what they're trained to do. That's what their experience had taught them. They should have been able to look and say, you know what? Maybe it's not a good time to go on the water. Maybe they made a mistake. Maybe it was impulsive. Maybe Peter, you know, Peter, making these impulsive decisions, maybe he made a, a, a dumb mistake. But what do we learn in Luke chapter 8, verse 22? It says, one day, Jesus got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. What do we learn there? The disciples are going to find themselves in a harrowing situation where they're going to fear for their lives. They're going to cry out to God for deliverance. And whose idea was it? It was Jesus' idea. Was it a mistake? Not at all. 
Jesus gets in the boat, the disciples get in the boat, they go across, it says there's a windstorm. The windstorm came down on the lake and they were and they were filling with water and were in danger, and they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. This was Jesus' idea. He knew the windstorm was coming. He's the author of the windstorm. And here they are, they're in danger, it says in verse 23. They're afraid that they're going to perish. They cry out to Jesus. Jesus calms the sea. And he responds to them in verse 25 of Luke 8 and says, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled. They're not afraid of the storm anymore. They have a healthy fear of God in this moment in Christ. They say to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? Why would Jesus allow a situation in the life of these men who brought them to the brink where they said, we cannot handle this. We are about to perish. Why would he do that? Exactly for what happens in verse 25, that their faith would be increased and they would see him in him the power to subdue the storm. The fact that God is our refuge does not mean that he spares us from danger. Sometimes it actually means he brings us into danger. Sometimes it means he brings us into difficulty. He allows the afflictions. Why? Because in the midst of that, we realize that he's the one who calms the storm. Sometimes Jesus orchestrates our lives in such a way where trouble is allowed to shake our world. We can learn to trust him. Peter, who was on the boat that day, fearing for his life, would later write this in 1 Peter 1.6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He learned the lesson. The fact that God is our refuge means that he will give us strength to endure, and through this endurance he will further strengthen us, especially our faith. He gives us the strength to endure. Again, not always sparing us from the trying experiences or personal struggles. Brings us to the other side. That's why Romans chapter 5, verse 3, Paul says, More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love is important to our hearts for the Holy Spirit who He has given to us. And just let me remind you, it's not about this life. It's not about this life. Life is unstable. Things I love, the things that I trusted, the things that provided me joy have faltered, they have failed, maybe I've suffered loss, and we realize quickly it's not about this life. God will train you and test you in this life. He will strengthen your faith, and he'll bring you to the ends of yourself, and he will put pressure on your faith so that your faith will rear up under those difficulties. Why? Because he's preparing you for the next life. This is why we learned on Wednesday nights that the Apostle Paul, when he prayed for the churches over and over and over again, when he prayed for the churches in the New Testament, he didn't pray that God would alleviate their suffering, but he always prayed that God would give them strength to endure. Another psalm, Psalm 91, believed to be written by Moses. We're going to look at this for a minute or so. Psalm 91, verse 1, it says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, 
my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. And in that psalm, what we notice is that it does not say that the terror of night will not come. It does not say that the arrows will not fly. But what it says is that those who trust God will not fear those things. By trusting in him throughout it all, we're delivered from fear. And on what does this trust rest? Well, the psalm says in Psalm 91, 4, He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. The fear that we might experience during distress and affliction and turmoil is mitigated by the fact that we know God is faithful. doesn't say the arrows aren't going to fly. doesn't say there isn't going to be difficulty. But it does say because we know he is faithful, we don't have to fear. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation, which could be considered also trial, but no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Difficulties come, temptations come. Uh, we can make it through. How? pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, I'm emotionally strong, I'm psychologically strong, I can do this, I can, I can trust in myself, I believe in me. No, God is faithful, he'll make the way. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. It's not about us, is it? Difficulties arise, afflictions arise. We think that our strength is about to fail. Can we endure? Yes, we can endure. Can you have strength? Yes, you can have strength. Why? Because we believe God is faithful. Each of those passages I just read addresses the need for believers to endure, to endure temptation, to endure trials, to endure frailty. And what do the New Testament writers say we need to endure, or what will help us to endure? Well, we will endure because God is faithful. His faithfulness is our shield and buckler, Psalm 91 says, our protection. And Psalm 91 mentions the fowler, it mentions the pestilence, which means that this is suffering that comes at the hands of other people, and also the suffering that comes just through circumstances. In all of it, he grants us strength to endure. Back to Psalm 46. It says, God is our refuge and strength. And what does it say next? Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And at this point, you're saying, okay, we're 20 minutes into it, and we're only on the first verse. Okay, it's... I'm not going to pace myself very well, okay? We're going to start slow and go fast. But God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. What does that mean? He's always at hand. He's ready and able to hear and to deliver and to comfort and to protect at any time. In other words, God is not a distant God. Remember, I had this in my notes, and I took it out of my notes, and now I'm putting it back in. But remember the situation with Elijah and the prophets of Baal? 
And Elijah says, okay, you know, you get a sacrifice, you put it on your altar, I'll get a sacrifice, I'll put it on my altar, we'll, we'll call upon our gods, and whatever God answers with fire, then he's the true God. And the prophets of Baal get their uh, sacrifice, and they cut it up, they put it on the altar. Elijah gets a sacrifice, cuts it up, puts it on the altar, douses it in water, saturates it with water, digs a moat around it, puts so much water on it that the moat fills up, so it's absolutely soaked. And then the prophets of Baal are to call on their God. And uh, they're calling and they're chanting and so on. And they're cutting themselves, it says, was their custom. There's all this crazy stuff trying to get their God. And nothing's happening. And as if that wasn't embarrassing enough, Elijah says, Oh, maybe your God's sleeping and somebody needs to wake him up. Maybe he's off there relieving himself somewhere. I mean, he's, he's just taking it to them. Then Elijah calls upon God and immediately fire comes down from heaven and it consumes the sacrifice and consumes the altar. What's the point? Our God is a God who is at hand. Our God is a God who hears. Our God is a very present help in times of trouble. He doesn't reluctantly give us the ability to endure. He doesn't hesitate in responding to us. The Bible says the prayers of his saints are a delight to him. He's always at hand. He's always right there. He's ready to grant whatever help we need in times of need. And we know as believers, as Christians, that this health comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is always there praying, taking our concerns to the Father. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In other words, the help comes at the time we need it. The help comes at the time we need it. He's an ever-present help. How then do we respond to this, this fact that God is our refuge, that he grants strength to endure difficulties, that he is always ready at hand, and he's faithful uh, uh, to care for us. How do we respond? Well, verse 2 of Psalm 46, Therefore, we will not fear. We will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. No need for fear. Jesus uh, used this same reasoning in Matthew 10, 10 29. Are not too... Sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are more valued than many sparrows. He's appealing to the fatherly care that comes from the father to us and says, because he's faithful, because he's father, because he's loving, because he knows everything about you, don't fear. That's the right response to the fact that God is our forever faithful refuge, who grants strength to endure. But look what else it says in verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. I mean, this is figurative. This is imagery here. What he's trying to say is, when those things that we traditionally count as the most stable, those things which will never be moved, those things that traditionally we could just count on, build our lives upon, the mountains, even if the mountains be moved, even if the earth gives way, 
we will not fear. He continues, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Again, when everything which was once stable becomes unstable. And you can fill in the blanks here. What, I mean, what's your mountain? What is it in your life that you're kind of building your life upon or have built your life upon? Those things that you say, this is my rock. If this wasn't here, I wouldn't know what to do. What the psalmist is saying is because we know who God is, because we know his faithfulness, because we know he's a refuge uh, for, for us, because we know he's an ever-present help, even when the most stable, secure things in this life that I'm building my life upon fall away, I still don't have to fear. I still don't have to fear. The psalmist is speaking of the shaking of all that is generally considered secure. Trouble comes when all that we know to be safe, all that we've come to rely upon is taken away or fails. Again, we might not think of mountains and the seas here. Perhaps we come to rely upon peace and security and safety and prosperity or relationships or health or whatever it may be. These are the things that we consider always steady and dependable. The psalmist is telling us that when these things become unstable, we have a stable and secure refuge. Has job insecurity shaken you? Has a fear of health issues troubled you? Has economic volatility troubled you? Has a present global instability frightened you? Has the increasing immorality and hostility of the culture all around the church concerned you? Have rocky relationships shaken you? Be assured there is protection and strength and comfort and help. Not ultimately in a job or people or money or earthly peace. None of those things can provide an unshakable refuge which will bring peace to our soul, stability to our emotions, or ease to our mind. None of these things can give a lasting peace which eradicates fear. Only God can. And so after citing the instability and danger of water and the mountains and all this stuff, now the psalmist is going to go on in verse 4 and 5 to paint a contrast. So look at it. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Then he says this. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, and the earth melts. The psalmist here is speaking of Mount Zion talking about Jerusalem, the holy city, as the habitation of the Most High. And he speaks of the peace and security which God will bring to the city while the world all around it rages. But look at the contrast here. Outside the city, or we could say the presence of God, is what? The water is threatening, verse 3. I mean, it's raging, it's roaring, it's foaming. That's outside the city of God. In the city of God, what? Verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Picture it. Foaming, raging, threatening waters on the outside. And just a peaceful, life-giving stream on the inside. What else does he say? Verse 3, the mountains are trembling. But what? In verse 5, Mount Zion 
shall not be moved in verse 5. On the outside, mountains are trembling. On the inside, solid, secure, stable, the mountain of the God most high. And I, Can you see that in your own life? Difficulty all around you, and the storms are raging out there, and the waters are swelling out there, and the mountains are shaking out there. But on the inside, what? Those who trust in God? You get that life-giving stream. You get that stable and secure mount. Uh, what? That's the presence of God. That's your trust in Him. And again, it's just a picture of the fact that God does not fully remove us from trouble, but He keeps us in the midst of it. Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The psalmist has thus far focused upon the instability and the turmoil of nature. You know, that's the imagery he's using, circumstances. Look what he does in verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. What's he doing now? Now he's shifting from nature to nations. He's saying it's not just earthly circumstances around you, but it might even be people. Even when nations, even when it seems that our culture is filled with vitriol and hatred and infighting as the norm, even when our culture is convulsing under the weight of its own immorality, even when you can look at the news and see a nuclear power invading its neighbor, even in times... Like this, when the nations are raging, God is that refuge. So whether it be circumstances uh, out of your control or whether it be the actions of others, God is still the same refuge. But look in verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, and the earth melts. And it reminds us of Psalm 2. He who sits in the heavens laughs as the nations rage. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. That is, even when the nations rage, God is not troubled. Uh, God is in control. So whether our circumstances have gone awry or our relationships are all out of sorts or what we counted once stable has fallen away or our health is deteriorating or the nations are raging, God is in control. He is our refuge and strength, the present help. Now look in verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord of hosts, first of all, he's the divine warrior who conquers on our behalf. The God of Jacob, who's that? That that means that he's our covenant God and again speaks to his faithfulness. Now look at the invitation in verse 8. And this is going to help us to increase in faith. It says, come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. That's an invitation to come and say, you want to trust God to help you in what you're dealing with now or what you'll deal with in the future? Then look to the past or what he's already done. And this is a great exercise for us as believers. God has brought situations in your life in the past where he's pressed you. He's tried you. And you had to answer with faith. And your faith was increased. 
You, you have this type of situation, right? I hope you do. You were, you were pressed beyond measure to the point where you had to trust him, and he brought you through, and he strengthened you as a result. God does that in your life. He's, he, what he's doing is he's planting landmarks. He's planting monuments. So when difficult times come future, you can look back and say, you know what? He's been faithful before. I've trusted him in the past, and he's come through. Even beyond your own experience, if you don't have a lot of those things, that's why he gives us Holy Scripture. That's why he gives us Hebrews 11. That's why he gives us the hall of faith. Look at other people and how God has been faithful to them. Psalm 66.5 says, Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. What is that? That's the Exodus. How many times is Israel? Always looking back to the Exodus. Uh, there did we rejoice in him, he says. Who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. And again, the psalmist, the, the Jewish psalmist, always looking back to the acts of God in the past and then deriving principles and saying, because of what he's done, I will trust him now in the present. He has proven faithfulness. And so the invitation in Psalm 46 is, come and behold the works of the Lord. And so, are you facing something difficult? Consider what God has already done for you. Consider what God has done for others. And recognize he's proven his faithfulness and trust him on that basis. Most of all, we're Christians here. We're not just preaching a psalm in such a way that any Jew could say amen to. We're Christians. As we consider what God has done, we look directly where? To the cross. Most of all, consider what God has done for us through Jesus. The greatest work of God's provision for us, the greatest work of faithfulness, the greatest expression of his love and care is Christ. The repeated refrain and source of assurance in Psalm 46 is what? The Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. Nowhere and at no time in human history has it been more true that God was with us than at the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. The ultimate manifestation of the presence and nearness of God is to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have even greater privilege than the psalmist of Psalm 46. Who is the one who can subdue the waters when they roar and foam? We've already seen it's Jesus Christ. who can simply say, peace be still. Who is the one who has power over the mountains? Zechariah 14.4 says that the day is coming when he will stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from the east to the west by the, by the very wide valley so that one half of the mountain shall move northward and the other southward. And I simply bring that up to say when Jesus returns, what? He's going to prove that he is the one that has power over the mountains. Who is the Lord of hosts who will conquer the nations and put a final end to earthly wars? Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven open to behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it could very well be written, 
Lord of hosts. Who is it that brings us alongside the calm, life-giving waters? Psalm 23 says that he will guide us along still waters. What's the picture there? It's a picture of a shepherd bringing sheep to, uh, to feed and to drink and to be safe and to secure. Who's the shepherd of Psalm 23? It's Jesus in John 10 who said, I am the good shepherd. Who is it that brings peace to a troubled world? It's Jesus who in John 14 said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. God is with us in Jesus Christ. He is our refuge and our strength. He is our very present help in trouble. He is Lord over nature. He is Lord over the nations. He provides peace and security in the midst of instability, in the midst of persecution, insecurity, even pestilence. He's enthroned. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says what? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest to your souls. And that soul rest in the midst of unrest, right? When everything around us is raging, in here we have peace given by Christ. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And we know from the verses we've just seen that will all ultimately happen through the Lord Jesus Christ. Conclusion. These are times, just looking at circumstances all around us, especially over the last two years, and frankly, you may be experiencing things personally in your life that speak to turmoil or unease or fear. What's our responsibility? Turn to Christ. Learn what it means to find strength and refuge in Him. Part of that sanctification process that we were talking about at the beginning is increasingly developing a pattern of going to Christ in order to find solace and comfort and satisfaction and help in breaking ourselves of any other habit in our life, any other well-worn path, any other uh, pattern that we've developed where we're trying to cope in some, by some other means. I think we would do well to do a little bit of self-examination to see what is it that I run to in my times of trouble. The message of, of Psalm 46, ultimately, is that we are to run to Christ. He offers peace and joy. He's ever living and praying for us. He's sensitive to and sympathetic towards our weaknesses. He has given his spirit to us for comfort. He said he will never leave us or forsake us. In Matthew 28, he said that he's with us always to the end of the world. And a good place to end here is Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so what can we say? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Let's pray.
Dear Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are sympathetic to every one of our struggles. We thank you that you know our deepest needs, even to a greater extent than we do. We thank you that not only do you know our deepest needs, but that you provide the perfect refuge and strength to meet those needs. And Lord, we understand that you have done that through your Son, Jesus Christ. So help us to have an eternal perspective, understanding that ultimately it's not about this life. Everything that you've brought into our lives, you have done to prepare us for the next. You would have us be blameless and perfect before Christ that is coming. You would have us endure and be strengthened, our faith be tried and be found genuine. So Lord, you bring difficulty. But Lord, you're good, you're faithful, and we trust you that the difficult circumstances you bring into our lives are for our good and for your glory. We can trust you because you are faithful. Lord, help us to trust you better. Divest us of any sinful patterns in our life or unhelpful patterns. We find ways to cope with life. We find ways to cope with disappointment and distress and anxiety and fear. And oftentimes those things are unhelpful. So show those things to us and help us to divest ourselves of those unhelpful patterns, and instead learn to be fully satisfied in Christ. Help us to learn more about him and what you have done for us through him so that we can trust him better and rest in him better, so that we can find peace in the midst of difficulty. We pray especially this morning for any who are going through any personal distress presently. I just pray that you give them a peace that passes understanding. Help them to find that rest to their soul in Christ. And then I pray you'd help believers all around them to provide the strength that maybe they're lacking, provide the encouragement that maybe they don't have. So I pray that you'd help the community of believers to nurture one another, to help bring these truths to bear in one another's lives. Lord, we thank you for this. And most of all, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for salvation in him. And we thank you that you are our ever-present help in the midst of trouble. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.